tune. Um, it's in our hymnal. We don't typically sing it, but it is about the marvelous gift of salvation. And we're going to play it for you.
Good morning. Uh, you can turn to James. Uh, I was looking back on this book when I first started it in uh, 2012. So it's only taken four years to get to chapter three. <laughs> Lou's been trying to tell me for years I was slow. I'm beginning to believe it. Slow. But it's a good book. And uh, it'll be challenging today, I'm sure, for each one of us. A story is told of a man who uh, had a flat tire in front of a high, fenced-in insane asylum. And after he had pulled the car over to the shoulder of the road, he took off the spare out of the trunk, jacked up the car, and removed the tire, carefully placing the lug nuts in the hubcap that he placed behind him. And while he had just finished uh, taking off the last lug nut, a car came around the corner, apparently not seeing him at first, swerved to miss him, but they hit the hubcap containing the lug nuts, and they just went flying into the ditch of some tall, thick grass. So the guy started searching for the lugs uh, where he thought he saw them go, but after several minutes of searching, he couldn't find any of them. So while he was searching, one of the inmates from the other side of the fence came up and was watching him, and he says, what are you doing? And the owner of the car explained to him exactly what he had been doing and the dilemma that he was in. He said, now I have no lug nuts to put on the spare. And the guy from the insane asylum said, hey, say, I got an idea, he said. Uh, Why don't you just take one lug nut off of each of the other tires, wheels, and put them on the wheel that you lost the lug nuts until... You get uh, to town to buy some replacements. And the owner of the car said, Say, that's a good idea. Uh, How come you're in this place anyway? He said, You're not crazy. And the other guy says, Well, I'm crazy, all right, but I'm not stupid. (laughs) You might have heard that one before, too. I still get a kick out of it. It's an old one, but uh, I'm I'm crazy. In fact, I've thought about it. I don't know if I've ever met a crazy person that admits they're crazy. But uh, this guy did. Wisdom. Uh, We never get enough of it, do we? Wisdom. Uh, James, uh, once again, the Course hits on this, as he did in Chapter 1, on this subject of wisdom. He talked about it. Remember Chapter 1, Verse 5, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But you must believe that you're going to get it, otherwise you won't receive it. Now, in these verses here that we want to look at today, James warns us there are two types of wisdom. One is from above, godly wisdom, while the other is from below, worldly or earthly, whichever your translation says, or even demonic, he says in verse 15. Noting that not all wisdom have the same source. Well, let's take a look this morning at uh, how James puts it a lot better than I can. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 13. Let's please stand for the reading of God's word. 3.13. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not... That which comes down from above, but is earthy, natural, demonic. For where wit and for jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Verse 18. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word as usual, Lord. What do you have for us today? What can you give us? Something that we can chew on on the way home at least, Father. And uh, Lord, can we ever get enough of this wisdom from you? I don't think so. We just praise you, God, that we do have that source once we put our trust in Jesus. We pray, Father, that each one of our minds will be open today for whatever you want to give us. Even if just a one-liner, Lord, just speak to our hearts as you have so many times and so many years ago, perhaps, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, folks. Have you ever known of someone who claimed to be wise and yet they acted foolishly? The opposite of wisdom. I cut an article out of the Saturday Evening Post here uh, that uh, I cut out from January 2015, uh, knowing that someday I would get around to using it. This is how it goes. A doctor, a lawyer, a priest, and a little boy were on an afternoon flight aboard a small private plane when suddenly the engine stopped and the pilot grabbed the parachute, told the passengers that they better jump, and they then he bailed out. <clears throat> but there were only three parachutes that were left. So the physician grabbed the first one, and before he jumped, he said, I'm a doctor. I save lives. I must live. And he jumped. And then the lawyer took the second parachute, and on his exit, he says, lawyers are the smartest people in the world. I deserve to live. And then the priest looked at the little boy, and he said, my son, I've lived a long life, and yours is still up ahead of you. Take the last parachute and go in peace. Don't worry, Father, the little boy replied. The smartest man in the world just jumped, just took off with my backpack. (laughs) Smartest man in the world. When I look at this portion of scripture here that we looked at today, wisdom from above and wisdom from below, some questions come to my mind that uh, how do we tell the difference? How do I tell the difference? When I do hear it, it's coming from Lord or coming from below. And who should I listen to for advice, counsel, or wisdom? So what about you? Who helps you make wise decisions uh, pertaining to your marriage or to your finances or raising your children or your connection with your grandchildren? What place do you have? Who helps you make those wise decisions? How can you tell if their advice... Or wisdom is coming from God, or is it coming from the enemy, Satan himself? By the credentials that's hanging on the wall, which we usually look at if we've got some time in the waiting rooms of these different places, the degrees that they've accomplished through college or whatever, or the fact that they're a Christian, is that good enough? And it raises other questions. Can anyone who is born again, a born-again Christian, give wise advice than to those who are seeking it and feel confident that it's coming from God and uh, from above. And that is, or is that best left up to the Bible scholars, uh, the clergy, the pastor, the professional counselor? Folks, I believe that we all want to pass on godly 
advice to those who are seeking his will, God's will. And that's really what they're looking for. That's what we're all looking for. Uh, <clears throat> I took a look at this book in um, Integrity by uh, David Jeremiah. And he quotes uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie, whom uh, he was a pastor at the Hollywood Presbyterian Church for quite a few years. I really don't know how many years, but I knew he was a, a chaplain for the Senate for eight years. And he's written several books. In fact, I've got quite a few of them myself in my library. And here's how he puts it, Lloyd John Ogilvie. Uh, Godly wisdom is a special gift of the Lord for our quest to know his will. And that's exactly what we're looking for. It's beyond intellect and knowledge. In a willing mind, wisdom enables a person to hear from God's, with God's ears and see with his eyes. Wisdom is inspired, death perception <clears throat> into people and situations. It is the vertical thrust of the mind of God into our minds, making discernment possible on the horizontal level of human affairs. With wisdom, we can penetrate the mysteries of God, his nature, his plan, his purpose. If we long to know God's maximum for our lives, wisdom is the gift that we need and want in order to do the will of God. And like I say, that's what we're all looking for. What's God want us to do? Or am I seeking wisdom? Many times, after I uh, go to God in prayer and asking him for his wisdom... Then I look around <clears throat> to, for someone here on this earth uh, to verify that wisdom. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, <clears throat> providing that that person uh, is, uh, that's, is giving us the right advice, uh, giving us godly wisdom. <clears throat> but have you ever made the mistake of following the wrong advice, uh, listening to the wrong voice, because... Many times it echoes what we wanted to hear or what we wanted to do. In fact, if we keep looking around long enough, we'll probably find somebody who would agree with us. And we take that advice. But Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So there's wisdom and counsel is... Uh, Solomon says here, the problem is, whose counsel are we listening to? Uh, through the years, as a, as a believer and as a pastor, <clears throat> for many years, I've been amazed, folks, <laughs> uh, where or who Christians have sought their wisdom or their counsel from. From palm readers, yes, I've heard them say that. From Ouija boards, horoscopes, uh, fortune tellers, and others, ungodly Sources as well as from ungodly people. Christians are seeking advice. Folks, these are examples. Excuse me. Oh, thanks, John. I got one, but uh, I can always use another one. I don't know what the problem is here. These examples, excuse me, are examples of wisdom that comes from below, folks. We who have been born from above, who plan on spending eternity above, have no business seeking wisdom and counsel from below that's worldly or unspiritual and perhaps from the devil himself it says here in verse 15 in fact the apostle Paul wrote uh, that the world by its wisdom cannot even come to know God and I'm sure most of you have read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 
Uh, but I'm going to flip back there. You might want to flip back there. First Corinthians chapter one. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'll pick it up at verse 18. Paul says, for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I would destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. That's from Isaiah. Verse 20, 1 Corinthians 1, 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not even come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to those who believe. To save those who believe. For indeed, Jews uh, ask for signs and Gentiles search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. Foolishness. Earthly wisdom says that Christ crucified is just plain foolishness. Think about this. When you came to Christ, God stripped away every, all the earthly wisdom and all the logic that you had at that time. Especially if you were like myself, come to the Lord um, when I was 33 years old, perhaps you were older yet. But he stripped away all that logic that we heard in order that we would come to him in faith, that we put our trust in Christ in faith. Humbled us at that time. But now, Once we've stepped across that line and put our trust in Jesus, as Christians, he wants each of us then to be filled with his wisdom in order to help other Christians and to discern the difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Is it wisdom from above or is it wisdom from below that we hear? So the first step towards uh, true wisdom from above is to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's we can't bypass that. <clears throat> Let's keep in mind the fact that uh, James is writing this letter to Christians. He mentions it several times. In fact, when he started chapter three here, <clears throat> he says, "My brother." He's talking to Christians. <clears throat> This letter applies then to them first. The first application is to the Christians that are scattered abroad, as he talked about in chapter 1. But the second application is then to us, the one who reads his word. He, ever, <clears throat> excuse me. We must fight temptation. Christians must fight the temptation to build our lives on the foundation of the world's wisdom, the world's logic. All the time we have to fight that. And we hear about the world's logic, the world's wisdom. We hear it on the radio. We read about it in the paper. We see it on the TV. A few weeks ago, you might have caught it on the news. There was a lady they were interviewing on the TV there. Had an 11-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy. And she had just had them vaccinated uh, <clears throat> to ward off cervical cancer. And she, the way she spoke to the people is that it was almost like child abuse to uh, neglect vaccinating your preteen kids, if you had them, uh, against this cervical cancer. And uh, she mentioned even that there was like 40% of people in the United States have already done this, had their children 
Her thought was, she said, that you're, don't kid yourself, your kids will become sexually active in their teen years, and so therefore you're wise to get this vaccination. I call that the world's wisdom. God's wisdom says abstinence, complete abstinence until they're married. So you wouldn't have to worry about it, just abstinence. We can preach that, we can teach that, we can try to tell our children and our grandchildren about that. Stay away from it. No, no live-in situations, that just is rampant today, even among Christians. I've performed a lot of weddings of, wet, of live-in Christians. They call themselves Christians, born again. And, uh, and then they finally got married which, was married, which was praise the Lord for that. But James addresses a dramatic contrast here between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom in this chapter 3. In fact, he gives us three indicators of heavenly wisdom from above, as well as some contrasts of wisdom that comes from below. Indicator number one, <clears throat> godly wisdom is expressed in the walk of a person more than the talk. We hear that all the time. In the walk of a person more than the talk. He says that in verse 13, if you look real closely. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. <clears throat> Worldly wise people are often proud of their education and self-gained knowledge and they are eager to discuss and debate that knowledge so to defeat their opponent uh, with their words where godly wisdom is demonstrated by works, not words. And we didn't come to Christ through works, obviously. Isaiah 64, 6 says, your works are like filthy rags to God. But once we, like I say, stepped across that line, now we are demonstrating that we're Christians by our works, not our words. James is saying, if you are truly a wise, according to God's standards of wisdom, you will show your wisdom by your good behavior, yours probably similar to the New American Standard, and your deeds, your good deeds. <clears throat> now, genuine um, Christian wisdom finds expression in our daily lives and how we conduct our si- ourselves, our behavior, our lifestyle. Question that we have to ask, does your life uh, back up or does my life back up your testimony? We heard three testimonies here just last week. Uh, with people that were getting baptized, they, you probably have a similar testimony. But does your life back up that testimony? <clears throat> the believers walk or their lifestyle must be according to God's word. Remember we study God's word to know more about God. We don't say it strictly to memorize or say this is a good book. We want to know how God would act or react in the same situations we're in today. How would he? Study the word. Study. Try to get into the depths of God. <clears throat> in contrast to that, uh, God, in contrast to godly wisdom, worldly wisdom then is motivated by Selfish ambition, James says, and bitter jealousy. And if you notice, he mentions that twice in verse 14 and verse 16. Selfish ambition and bitter jealousy or envy, whichever, I think the NIV mentions the words envy. So this wisdom of the world has a hidden agenda, then doesn't it? It's inside, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. But note the words in verse 14. 
But if you have, uh, he implies here that the condition, <clears throat> that this condition of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy actually existed among believers. But that's nothing new. We know that in the Last Supper, that the disciples of Jesus, now these guys, 12 guys, started getting in a big argument as to who is the greatest. We see that in Luke 22. Who is the greatest? Do we still have some of this ambition, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy in our hearts? Folks, we must guard against our motives when we give advice to others. And be sure that we're not self-seeking, that they're not self-seeking, or some jealousy or envy is in our hearts. Before we get a, before you give advice, ask God then to reveal your motives and to be sure that they're pure and they're impartial. Verse 17, that's what James says. Years ago, as, as pastoring a church in Moreno Valley, California, we started that church in 1988, I was asked by one of the church leaders, he's a Sunday school teacher, very godly man, I really appreciated him. And we'd been going for about three years at that time, and it seems to be going good. And then he came to me and asked for my advice on him and his family moving to Anaheim, which was like 65 miles from Reno Valley, from our church, knowing that he would not be attending our church once he moved. He wanted to get closer to work. He could spend more time with his children. and Didn't have to do that, like that commute and those freeways. <clears throat> but uh, at the time that he told me about it, I could just feel, sounds like he's got his mind pretty well made up, but he was asking my advice. And I know it would leave a big gap in our church. I had nobody to fill that position that he was filling. So I told him, I said, he's just outside. I said, self says, Terry, don't go. Don't move. But I need a guy, and I need a guy, a godly man like you right here in this church, especially when we're just getting started. But I told him that was a selfish motive, and uh, it was the wrong motive. Of course, Terry ended up moving. And he was a great asset in that church that he moved to. We kept in contact for years after that. Well, the next indicator of godly wisdom, number two, is godly wisdom's aim then is to glorify God. The aim is to glorify God. Verse 17, notice that? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good, good fruits, unwavering, and without hypocrisy. We see eight characteristics here of wisdom that comes from above. First, he says, it's pure. It's clean. The same root word, the Greek word, root word, that's used for holy, pure. As pastor been taking us through First Peter, remember First Peter 1.16, where God says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> Free from any selfish motives, pure. A God-controlled mind. Next, he said, peaceful, peaceful, or peaceable, excuse me, peaceable wisdom. Now, its aim is to reconcile people, to restore them to the ones who have, you and I both know, ones who have fallen away. Perhaps they're not walking with the Lord, they're not going to any church, and but they can have a testimony just as good as strong as you when they gave their life to Jesus. But they've wandered away from the faith. Peaceably, we can talk to them. And he throws in the next word, gentle. Gentle, with patience. Considerate. Won't abuse people with God's word. That's pretty important when you're trying to bring 
uh, a believer around, come on back, come on back into the faith. I remember talking to a man that walked seven years. In fact, he went to a seminary down in uh, Dallas uh, Theological Seminary, and uh, he was on his way to be uh, quite a pastor. But um, some personal problems interfered with that, and uh, it was not good. And he walked away from the Lord seven years. And uh, we really needed him in a, a ministry that we had started. And so I talked to him, and I just laid it out to him. I said, you know what you got to do to get squared around before we could ever use you, before God could ever use And he just said, yeah. And he did. Praise the Lord. As far as I know, that was many years ago. He's walking with the Lord today. Gentle wisdom. <clears throat> Considerate. Won't abuse people with God's word. Reasonable, he says here. That's open to reason. Willing to yield, not close mind. Uh, ready to be convinced. Listen to them closely. Full of mercy, he says. Show sympathy for the hurting, for the suffering. James says, full of good fruit, fruits. And I believe that's the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5.22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Nine. Fruit of the Spirit. Unwavering, he says. That means, or impartial, the NIV puts it. No favoritism or partiality is what he's saying here. Of course, James talked quite a bit about that in chapter 2. Last but not least, godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. No pretense. Jesus spoke loudly and clearly. Do you remember that? Against hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day, scribes and Pharisees. Think about it. The guy down the road from you or across the street that's not a non-believer, if he was to describe you, he would say uh, they're the, they got religion. They wouldn't say, well, they've been born again, go into all the terms we use. He would say they got religion. So we're in the same category to them. We're the religious people. Without hypocrisy is what he's talking about here, is wisdom from above. We have to be very careful uh, that our lives back up, that our more or less our walk backs up our talk. That's what godly wisdom is. Well, in contrast to that, to the godly wisdom, worldly wisdom, then aim is to glorify self, which is evident, James says, by their arrogance and their boasting. Verse eight, uh, 14. Now, we've all sat under these types of individuals, these types of leaders, who uh, perhaps you work for them. I, I remember working in the iron shop for a guy that was quite arrogant. In fact, we the behind his back, we would say, there's a right way to do things, the wrong way, and then there's the foreman's way. And if you want to work here, you do it his way. And uh, But he, were, he was quite arrogant. Um, wasn't around long enough to see if the Lord ever broke him. But uh, we've, we all know who those people are in our lives. But we Christians can also be uh, guilty of such arrogance and boasting, glorifying self instead of glorifying God. And it distracts from the truth. This type of uh, attitude will rob God of his glory if we glorify self. Now, you might say, well, I, I know I've been tempted to do that. I don't know about you. But you see, as we grow in a Christian walk with the Lord, we're going to become, as God wants, 
us to become more like Christ. 20, 30, 40 years, or maybe some of you more. You're going to become, you know, he's going to knock off those rough edges off you and me. And so people will see that. And uh, temptation then is to take some of the glory. You might say, boy, I remember when you used to use all kinds of bad language. Now you don't. I remember when you dealt this way or that way, and now you don't. We see that. Are we going to be quick to point to God, or are we going to say, yeah, it's this new vitamins I'm taking. You know, it's been doing a world of good for me. You be careful. Be careful. I've had to apologize to the Lord more than once for that one. Third indicator of God's wisdom. Then James says, in number three, godly wisdom yields the fruit of peace. Of peace. Notice verse 18. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who <clears throat> make peace. Folks, when you're seeking wisdom from above, from a godly source, one of the main indicators, and I don't want you to miss that, that um, what you are hearing is coming from the Lord is the peace within your own heart. Uh, people who oppose, um, or excuse me, people who possess uh, godly wisdom will be will not be able to hide it because um, that fruit of peace would just stick right out. It'll show in their countenance. Uh, it'll be very evident. You'll be able to pick them out of a crowd as well as from a church. In contrast, worldly wisdom yields the fruit of disorder, confusion, and every evil thing, James says here in verse 16. Worldly wisdom, instead of bringing people together, it drives them apart. Instead of producing peace, it produces strife. Instead of producing fellowship, it produces disruption in personal relationships. And instead of peace within, there'll be frustration within. These are consequences of worldly wisdom. Now, I've known many godly men and women, and I'm sure you have too, through the years. And some have had very little formal education, and yet they were wise. They possessed God's wisdom. I want to tell you about such a man of God who possessed wisdom from above, I believe. A good example, his name was Oscar Snyder. I wouldn't mention his name, but he's gone on to be with the Lord many years ago. Oscar was an old dairy farmer uh, out of Blue Creek area. He told me, I, I didn't know him at that time, in the 40s and 50s and the 60s, he said, they started requiring that you have a bulk tank to put your milk into instead of those 10-gallon cans that you pick up at the antique stores now. But that's the way it was. And there were, those bulk tanks were quite spendy in those days. So <clears throat> anyway, like I say, Oscar went home to be with the Lord several years ago now. But I won't soon forget him. And uh, the impact that he made on my life and the impact he made on his neighbors. His son testified to that at Oscar's funeral. I can remember that very clearly. His boy, now this is something. His boy, who is actually a pastor too, is... Uh, he was telling about dad. He says, when we were raised on the farm, he says, uh, uh, we'd sit down to a meal sometimes and knock at the door or a phone would ring and it'd be a neighbor down the road needed this help for that and this or that. And Oscar didn't say, well, I'll catch you tomorrow morning. He's, he got up from the table sometimes and got right out. He says he went right out to there and helped them with their need. And his boy testified, eventually, 
all those neighbors around Oscar's house came to Jesus. And Oscar, if you knew him, he was a very quiet guy. You didn't, I bet he never preached to them at all. He just lived it. He walked it. The talk. But like I said earlier, you could pick him out of a crowd. He was a quiet man, a peaceful man. <clears throat> and while Oscar was still alive, more than once, I would go to him for advice and wisdom that I was seeking from above. One such time stands out in my mind. When Lou and I sought his wisdom pertaining to some trouble that one of our kids got themselves into. Big trouble as far as we were concerned. Just tore us apart. I was associate pastor at that time over here at the Free Methodist Church. Already assigned to my first church. And things got real rough with one of our kids. So I didn't know what to do, but I I told Lou, let's go talk to Oscar and his wife, Doris. So we did, one evening, at their home, and we were seeking God's direction. What should we do now? As we finished our story, there was a long silence. I remember that. Then Oscar said, let's get down on our knees right now and pray, asking God for guidance and wisdom. He prayed. We listened. I didn't have no prayers. I was done. I was empty. I can't remember what Oscar said that night. But I remember what happened. I received a peace from the Lord that night that just surpassed all things. And after that night, I felt I could do, could take anything that Satan wanted to dish out to me. It gave me a peace. How blessed is a man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding of God. Mark that one down in your Bible. That's a good one. Proverbs 3.13 Do you want to be such a man or a woman of God that people will seek out for godly wisdom? I hope so. It's a humbling experience. I think you should do a couple of things before you open your mouth. And one of the things I think you should say is pray and ask God for his wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. It indicates that you have a need for it. Oscar might have been doing that during that silence time. I don't know. Next, examine your own heart to see if it harbors any bitter jealousy or any selfishness in it. And if so, confess it. Right then, you you don't have to confess it out loud. Just talk to the Lord while that other person is talking to you, perhaps. And then, spend some time with Jesus daily. The living word of God. There is no substitute for it. Do you remember Acts 4.13? Peter and John had just healed, well, through the name of Jesus, healed a a man who was lame. And the scripture says, I've underlined this and highlighted it in every Bible I got. They were uneducated and untrained, and yet the people recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's no substitute of being with the living word. You can feel confident that wisdom will come from above when you spend time with Jesus. This morning I've got a song that, uh, see where did I put that? I like to sing. It's a good one. It uh, took on more meaning, to tell you the truth, when I, uh, through this experience that Lou and I went through. 
I'd sang it before, but this song really took on the meaning for me. Uh, the words stuck out. I'm sure most of you have heard this song. It was popular quite a few years ago. It says, when you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams, when your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, when you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears and the, fear, and the faith that you've been standing in just seems to disappear, praise the Lord. Maybe that's where you are today. You just are right at the end. Your faith has been stretched because of some, something in your life, in your own heart, with your own family, with your grandkids, whatever. But you're stretched. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon that said, every pew has someone in it that is hurting. Just think about it. We could say every row of seats, whatever. Somebody hurt. So think about it. There's probably some people hurting here today. So I pray that this song will speak to their hearts more than anything. Go ahead. the struggle that shatters all your dreams when your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears and the faith that you've been standing in just seems to disappear praise the Lord He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord. For the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Satan is a liar And he wants to make us think That we are paupers When he knows himself We are children of the king So lift up your mighty shield of faith For the battle must be won We know that Jesus Christ is risen So the work's already done Praise the Lord He can you praise Him, praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise, praise the Lord, for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. the Lord, for the chains that seem to bind you, serve only to remind you, they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. 
While everybody's head is bowed and eyes are shut, would you just slip up your hand if you're going through some struggle right today? You really don't want to talk to anybody else about You just have a struggle. You're hurting. You've got a real hurt. Is there anybody that's hurting today? Good. Anyone else? Father, we thank you for your love, Father. And we pray you minister to that person that's hurting or that person's. Touch him, Lord, in a special way. And we pray, oh God, that you're real to us, more real today than you were yesterday, that we walk with you, Lord, guard our tongues as well as our life, Lord, that it reflects Jesus in everything we do. That's our testimony. God, help there not be any hypocrisy in us, that people will be quick to nail down, point to us, God. We pray we walk with you today, tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, through the week as well as on Sunday. We pray, Father, do that for us. And we pray you'll go with each person today, and Lord, let their life be a light, that they reflect the light of Jesus in their life. And people will see that light. They say, wow, you are something else. Where did you get that? I got it from Jesus when I put my trust in Jesus. Praise you, God, that there's so much hope in us when we came to the cross. We got rid of all that dirt, that grime, that slime, of all the past that we had done. Stuff that crops up every once in a while. That's Satan bringing it back. But no matter, Lord, it's hard for us to forget. But then we remember your forgiveness. You've cleansed us with the blood of Jesus. And give us the hope for resurrection. We give you the praise for that. Go with each person now. Let our lives be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.